Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. And this week I'm in busy restaurant celebrating Christmas with Rick Stein. His latest book, Secret France, was surely in every food lover's stocking this year and the TV series of the book has been reminding us what we love most about French cooking. I asked him of all the secrets he's found, what can't he do without at Christmas? Well actually it might seem odd but it wouldn't be Christmas without sparkling Shiraz. And the reason for that is that um, I developed a taste for sparkling Shiraz years and years ago with my then wine merchant, Bill Baker, who sadly died. Um, but he reckoned that sparkling Shiraz was one of the best and most original wines out of Australia. So every year I open a bottle or two at Christmas and my boys, my sons, fail to see the point of it. Although my youngest son, Charlie, who's in the wine business, is beginning to get it. But year after year I persevered and some of the sparkling Shiraz now is really quite venerable because it's been in my um, cellar, which is actually the garage in Padstow, for as much as 10 years and it ages perfectly. But also... Having a sparkling red, a young sparkling red at a party, it's something that's really lovely to drink. And is it one of those drinks that you would have as you're having your starters, your little canapes, or is it something that cuts through a particular dish that you make at Christmas? It's, it's really good with your starters, but really when I serve it, it's just before Christmas lunch. You know, you can have champagne or sparkling yeah. Shiraz. Yeah. Most people say, oh, I don't like the sound of that. But once you've got into it, it's all over you, you just have to have it on any festive occasion but also it's quite cheap still because people don't really get how lovely it is well somebody else suggested cider brandy yes instead of prosecco so get away from the cheap bubbles but go for cider brandy from somerset cider brandy i love somerset cider brandy but it's a bit it's a bit strong to start your christmas lunch with Crikey. Um, we once filmed at the Somerset Cider Brandy place. Lovely drink, but but maybe not for <laughs> as a precursor to Christmas lunch. <laughs> now, nice segue into northern France there. Um, we're talking today about your book, yeah. your secret France. And I'm very excited about this. It feels very nostalgic for me. It feels like you've gone back into a time when, when French cooking was our kind of entry into food, into loving food, the depths of the flavours, the nuance layers you've done trip through france before but this is through your secret france let's start at the top when you were 16 with that first visit that set off this love of france well yes i mean that's what i look back to um was uh, going to france 
actually was sent over there by my parents and my sister to northern France. And it was the first time, I guess you've got to be about 16. Actually, I think I was 14 the first time and 16 the second, because we went twice, me and Henrietta. But what was so special about it was we were staying in a chateau um, owned by a sort of farmer that had a 3,000 3, hectare estate making, uh, growing sugar, sugar beet, uh, petit pois, and haricot vert. And the, the chateau was extraordinary, mostly for us because they had a butler and full staff who served us every day and um, I don't think either myself or my sister had ever experienced such wonderful food needless to say when we got home we were telling my mother how wonderful it was she was a bit put out but was it the performance around food? A lot well, of people who say, you know, when they were eight, nine, ten, when they had that first experience of silver service or something, it's the taking off of the lid, the great display, the great theatre of well, food. That's a, that's a very good point, Jenny, because I think the French always have a... One of the great things about the French is their sense of performance with all food. I mean, I remember once having um, a, a canteen lunch at the cookery school at the, at poly, at the tech in Birmingham where... Uh, Michel Roussinier and I were judging um, a competition and they served Davisol, which is very nice of them, in the canteen, in the staff canteen. But Michel made a big... Oh, God. And they served Davisol, which was very nice of them. But Michel made a big occasion out of it. He called for a salad. He called for a glass of wine. He sat down and he contemplated the fish and then he dissected it and he, he, he filleted it perfectly... And all the time I was thinking, this is so French. So really for me and my sister, having a butler serving the food with white gloves, pouring the cider with white gloves was... Uh, something really new and exotic well, to us. it blows us. your mind a little bit, doesn't Absolutely. it? It resets your experience and then you start getting excited by it. You then talk in the book about, you revisit that memory beautifully at the beginning of the book and you talk about the actual ingredients and the ingredients from Brittany in particular, the shellfish. Well, I mean, the French have been, always been really good with shellfish and with fish. I mean... It's, it's true to say that it's always been in Paris. You can always get just as good fish in Paris and shellfish. Think of those little seafood bars everywhere in Paris as you can on the coast, which hasn't really been the same in, in this country. I think generally, I mean, fish is probably the best example, but generally food in markets, in shops in France is so wonderful and still so wonderful that through the book I have been a little bit critical about some of the cooking in French restaurants, but nobody can ever deny that French food in markets is just second to none. And it's interesting, what you say is that's because of the market stall holders. They still have this generations of knowledge. It's not just love, it's skill and real understanding of, of foods. You, you mentioned the great Alice Waters and... You don't think that if she were to have her French adventure as she did in the 1960s, early 70s, um, she would come away with that same feeling. But the way that you talk about those producers in the market stores, which is where she fell in love with food, they, they still have it, don't they? Well, they do still have it. But, and I think you're absolutely right. It is part of a tradition. And it is part of a, a, a deal between the market 
stall traders and the public and the customers because the customers traditionally have always known what they're looking for much more i suspect discerning than many british people in markets and therefore it's been a sort of cooperation between customer and stallholder i sort of suspect that that this is breaking down a little bit because one of the things that we did pick up and i may not have made a big deal out of it is that last time i filmed in france for French Odyssey which was like at the beginning yeah probably about 15 2005 um, I remember on one of the two barges we were going down the Canal de Midi with he was English a guy called Lee but he spoke perfect French he said I don't understand why you're making this programme nobody needs cookery programmes in France we all know how to cook these days there's lots of cookery programmes in France and I think that whole understanding knowledge passed down from grandmothers and mothers to daughters is is passing and therefore there is a a sort of I think a a breakdown in sort of I think it will happen in markets as well and people knowing what they're buying and demanding the best I mean you say that you think that there's still some good cooking lots of good cooking going on in the homes but not in the restaurants and it was really surprising to me that you said that you know all over France you find finished meals meals made in industrial estates being shipped into the the restaurants really? Well it was extraordinary to me because actually we were in the Ouzes which is probably you've been there but a beautiful uh, town on the border between Provence and Roussillon and um I was particularly keen on a fig tart. I'd done the recipe for it in the book, um, partly because the, the middle of the fig tart was still moist, still baveurs, as the French say. And I sort of got the waiter over and I said, this is wonderful. And she said, oh, yeah, well, it comes in frozen, so it's probably not defrosted. It was only just defrosted. And then you sort of make inquiries, and so much stuff is bought in. But you can understand why, because, you know, cooking wages are high, and the French have a very high sort of social security requirements that, you know, you only work 35-hour weeks and you can only, you know, there's a maximum that you can work. So staff are expensive and in short supply. So it's sort of breaking breaking down a little bit. And, of course, we find this in Spain and Italy as well. You know, the the whole culture is changing because of the way that animals are farmed there's a lot of factory farming i mean you do tell talk about the the cattle of burgundy uh, of, uh, Charolais, yeah yeah um, uh, as one of your secrets that you can't it will come to that in a second but actually you know my experience of france is that you know if you take the Eurostar, for example you, you don't see a lot of animals out to pasture you found them is is the culture still alive and well well i I think, to be honest, you have to go out and find them. And I think that uh, more than ever, you need good food guides. And to be honest, if you're looking for re- restaurants, there's no better good food guide than the, the Michelin guide. I've sort of been a bit critical about the sort of two and three star because of the sort of aspirations of the chefs and what they turn out. But in terms of a sort of bog standard guide of what is good, it's, it, it's fine. Yeah. But you do need that. But And so you can't expect to go to a small french town and find those sort of um restaurants that maybe would have done in the 70s or 80s early 90s uh, and just go in and marvel about it because it's just not like the the, the sort of family cooking place is much rarer but it's the same all over europe it's the same in this country as well actually so i mean one of the sort of conclusions i came to was it's not so much 
that French cooking has gone downhill so far, it's that we've gone uphill so far that we now expect so much more. And, you know, you had mentioned um, Alice Waters. Would she experience the same thing now? No, she probably wouldn't, but she'd be looking for uh, different parts of the world. She'd be looking in sort of Thailand or anywhere in Southeast Asia. She'd probably been to somewhere like Tbilisi in Georgia. or You know, people are very much more outward-looking, going to different places. So the other thing that's sort of quite noticeable in France is how little relative to the UK they've they've embraced the cuisines of other countries. I do think that is. It's a, I mean, it's the same in Italy and largely Spain as well. You don't find Chinese, you don't find Indian. You do in the capitals, but not generally in the countryside. That, that's correct. And I, I think it's really because they, they believe in their own cuisine and they quite, I suppose you could say arrogantly, both Italians and French, believe their cuisine is special and, and but also identifies them. them. And, uh, and identifies them. I mean, it's funny, in the beginning of the programme, I'm actually saying, you know, food in France is, is, is not just, I'd say something like, not just the most important thing in life. It is life itself, because sometimes the way they, they carry on, it is. But they're sort of like, somehow they need to sort of pick a few new ideas on board. One of the things that I'm sort of like very pleased with in the series, but I, I think I could have done better... Is to um, is to just highlight uh, young people in restaurants. I mean, we've, we've done a, a couple, which is really rewarding. But I wish I'd done a bit more because very often, in when you find you having a really good simple meal in France, most of the staff will be under thirty, and they do have this sort of like tremendous sort of like let's get back to our proper cuisine and doing it properly. Yeah. Yes, I was surprised that you said that. I mean, I find a lot of the young chefs in London are, are very motivated, and, and of course from Australia and New Zealand, that's how we got the good food in Australia, in London. True. By the Australian and New Zealand's taking their OE, their overseas experience, in, you know, all over the, the world and then bringing it to London. I wouldn't have thought that of the French I don't see a lot of French travellers in well, the same way. Well, it's, it's true, there are, there are fewer, but I, I do think it's changing. I mean, after all, you, you quite rightly say that Australia led the way. Now we've caught up, of course. But I do see sort of elements of that in, in France. I mean, yeah, they don't travel as much as us, or they don't seem to. But there are sort of ideas coming through which clearly indicate people are travelling, but still what they want to do their local food I mean there's just one unfortunately we didn't film in Paris because David Pritchard who sadly died during the making of the series doesn't like didn't like filming in cities fine it's his show you know Uh, but what one of my um, ex-chefs Ollie Clark is is a the head chef of a place called La Regalade in Paris and I really wanted to go there because he's like in his mid early 30s cooking French food you go into La Regalade with him as a chef first thing you get when you sit down is a great big terrine pate and a, and a great big bowl of um, gherkins of um, what do they call them cornichons right and that's just the bread comes up and that's just for you to be sort of like you know that's so interesting because 
you know, I, I, that's quite different to what the young people are doing in this country. It's, it, what it feels like you're saying is that there's a return to the traditional values, the, the traditional, uh, forget the arrogance for a moment, maybe pride in, in who, what French cooking is. I mean, I'm just thinking, where does that lead us? Say, what, what will French food look like in 10 years' time? It's so difficult to predict that, but I, I sense that these sort of young people are, are, are not wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They understand that their cuisine has a lot of strength to it, and they're, and they're playing with that, but they will bring in new ideas as well. And it's sort of like... It's an exciting place to go to now, really. I mean, uh, because, I mean... I was talking to somebody the other day about Paris, and they said you could make a programme in Paris, a whole series in Paris with what's going on there now. And the last two, two times I've been there, and I'm actually going next month, it's so exciting. And I don't think, if you just stuck to Paris, I don't think you'd be saying that French food is, is stuck, you know? think i'm i'm not saying it's stuck i'm saying that it is very stable actually i mean i think i have a a theory that there are stable food cultures french spanish italian south american you know mexican chile i mean all the places where you've been basically stable food cultures they've been the same for a very very long time then there are the unstable food cultures britain america australia where we've had a, a blank canvas to play with the amazing flavours from all over the world because we were boring, we, we weren't adventurous and then through migrants coming in and bringing their flavours with them is about pride and identity Well I agree but I don't think the British food I think we always perceived it as being bad but I don't think it was It wasn't uh, hundreds of years ago it no. was ten, you know, years No, no, you're absolutely right and I think, I mean about like, I don't know 12, 15 years ago I did a programme called Food Heroes we went round the UK finding actually great produce not so much great cooking but during the course of that we found some great cooking and just after that I did um, the French Odyssey and I just sort of felt that I think what the French are really good at and we're not so good at is actually selling their local cuisine right and if you look at something like the Cornish pasty now, which was regarded like in the 80s as being the most dire and drear food that you could imagine, mainly because on the whole it was, that it's been sort of resurrected by certain people and it is perceived, to, to be quite rightly, a great pie. And, and the same with many other dishes. I just remember going doing a, friend, a Japanese programme years ago uh, I met a Japanese ambassador I'd been filming in Padstow going out on a fishing boat mackerel fishing and I prepared some sashimi for the mackerel they'd just caught and it was a bit of a sort of like the director said well a lot of them are going to refuse to eat it because it's like revolting eating frog fish and that's duly what happened and the other half said fabulous and anyway I met the ambassador at some do in the, in the city a, a week or two later and he'd seen the programme and he just said you've made a big mistake you, you can't ser- serve raw mackerel because it's got a parasite in which it has in Japan but not here and, and I sort of said well you know I don't really understand about sashimi I'm so sorry and I went back and said to David about it and he said 
I've got an idea. Why don't we go to Japan and find out about how to make sashimi? And during the course of talking to the ambassador, he said, I really like British food. I like going out at the weekend. I like fish, fish and chips, fish pie, steak and kidney pudding. And it, he wasn't sort of like being polite to me he really enjoyed going out to pubs and finding good stuff and I suddenly thought hang on we're, we're missing a point here and when you go to some like regional Italy or France a lot of their sort of regional dishes are no better or no worse than ours it's just that we've always had this sort of slight you know inferiority complex I suspect after the break we talk about the legacy of the legend behind both Rick and Keith Floyd director fellow bon viveur and Rick's great friend David Pritchard. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk a little bit about David Pritchard. Right. Now, he was your friend and your director for 30 years. He was probably the king of food television in yeah. that he yeah. was the director for Keith Floyd, of course, where you first appeared I back did. in 1985. 84. 84. What a legend. Um, it must have been very sad for you. Did you write the book after you'd finished the tour, or were you writing it all along? Um, no, I wrote it after I'd finished the tour. and I, I mean, I started it before he died, but... Um, finished it after so it, yes it was and I mean it actually the series is still very much his because it was his idea to travel off the beaten track through France and the whole idea of the journey was as he said in his totally in original way let's just think of the mark of Zorro like it's a sort of squiggle with the end of a sword through France so he We've sort of like got no particular reason for where we go, except that most of the places are not as well visited by uh, British people as other parts. But basically, it was his sort of like nostalgia for 
just motoring through France in the sort of 70s or 80s. And that's how he saw it. And I think to a certain extent it was sort of like, you know, he knew he was going to go, I think, and just sort of like put himself in a place where he remembered very fondly about... And, but the thing is, in doing that, he kindled the same memory in me. And, uh, y- y- you know, I... I mean, I suppose there's other places in Europe where the cooking is perceived to be sort of better, which is, I'm thinking of Italy particularly. Um, but, I mean, for me, French, French cooking and for David was where we started, really. And uh, that, that was the first sort of great sort of revelation of, of about sort of how to cook really lovely food and how to drink really nice wine with it as well. Was it with you or was it with Keith Floyd where he drew a map of, of France? It was with me, yeah. On the tablecloth. Yeah, that was the first trip. It was and, in and a... delivered the tablecloth to the commissioning yeah, editor yeah, yeah. and said, commission this. And he, it was nice because, well, he, he said uh, maybe a little bit of A4 with it, you know, it would be a bit more formal. But I think it's sort of in a way we like to use that as well, both David and I, as an example of how sort of bureaucracy threatens the BBC, you know, because uh, in those days they'd, we would like to think that they'd back us on a whim, but I think it was actually that particular Tom Archer, the particular commissioning editor at the time, just had a you know, he just had the... Because that was the spirit of the yeah. programme, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very sort of, you know, David was the first person, it's always attributed to Keith Floyd, but it, it was actually David who was a bit more postmodern about the use of the camera made it a character well, it, I, I really liked David's um, Shooting the Cook which was a book of it which you might have read but, but it was b- b- about how him and Keith developed this whole sort of blokey way and like the, the way boss the cameraman around and it wasn't sort of one or the other um, they, they just were in this situation where you know it was sort of a bit you know contrary to what Delia Smith was doing at the time it had to be us boys being naughty drinking too much and being rude about you know French cooks (laughs) so I try and cook up a couple of recipes at least before I I talk to the food writer and I chose the brill with sap and chestnuts and found myself making a pork confit and I thought god only with French cooking would you make a pork confit to make fish um, well, the thing about the pork confit in there is actually, if you're in the Dordogne, you can buy it in um, jars. My dog rather loves the fact that but I was making it. It's, um, I know, it's a bit tricky, that one. But, uh, I mean, I've tried to keep the book... You well, know, it's it, not. It's really not. I mean, you lay it out, you lay bits of pork on, yeah. a, uh, on a tray and you put salt on them for six hours. That's yeah. well, kind of, I mean, And then I mean, you bake it. It does work very, very well. I mean, the, actually, the use of pork, the pork skin like that... I sort of came across years ago, and we had loads of pork skin because I was cooking, um, I was cooking hams actually for the deli, right? So we had all this skin because we we used to, you know, strip the skin off and then stud them with clothes and roast them, um, or finish off with marmalade or brown sugar. So I had all this skin, and I just sort of, I started tasting it, and also I was experimenting with pigs trotters at the time, thanks to Pierre Kaufman, you know. Um, and I just thought that actually the skin of pork is so wonderfully gelatinous 
So I've, I've done a few dishes like that where I've worked it into a sauce. Yes, there was the bean stew as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I was surprised about because, of course... Well, that was a traditional French dish. But it's actually, that's really interesting because that bean stew was one of those sort of epiphany moments for me because when we were eating it, and it, she was the woman that, that had her walnut and hazelnut oil mill, I just thought this is what French food at its best is all about, having a sort of to us slightly wacky ingredient like pork skin which just makes it taste so special oh, absolutely. and you couldn't sort of really explain that to people generally yeah. it's like the other thing I found was when we were in um, uh, God what's it called Le Quatoire in, um, in Picardy we had this lamb in hay cooked there the salt marsh lamb in, near, from the Bay of the Somme and he cooked it so rare that it was like practically raw in the middle, right? And it was lovely. But I was thinking, you could serve this up to English people, British people, in his restaurant in Le Quatoire, and they'd be saying, sensational. You put that on a menu in, um, you know, in anywhere in the UK, and they'd say it's raw, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Right, a couple of questions from yeah, Instagrammers. Yeah. So, Tori Vickerman wants to know, uh, what's your favourite region? In France. Well, I'd say on balance, I mean, uh, you know, I'm quite keen in this series on, in, on the Auvergne, but I think from sort of great memories, it's actually Jura near Burgundy, between yeah. Burgundy and the Pyrenees, just simply because it's, it's... You remember that book called The Grand Moan, you know, which is like a sort of, like, ideal... Vaseline yeah, lens yeah, Vas- Vaseline lens picture in France. Well, Jura's a bit like that, because you can't believe how beautiful it is and how relatively untouched it is by tourists and everywhere you go there's like the most dreamy villages and fantastic chateaus with tiny tiles and so I really like that and I also like the wine of Jura which no people don't like but it's almost perverse of me that Sauvignon the sort of yellow wine with made like sherry in a well it's oxidized um, but also the, the cooking there is great uh, um, I, uh, and it's it's a bit off the beaten track but not very you know. Cassis is on my list thanks to you I, I haven't been there and you paint a very pretty picture of it well I mean I think it's funny because since I've filmed there people have said oh well it's it's very touristy but compared to the rest of um, the French the Mediterranean coast it's not and the thing that's so unusual about it it looks like a Greek sort of island you know, like a somewhere like Idra or Naxos. You know, it's like the town there because it's it's constricted by it's down at the end of a valley, and um, you you look uh, and the harbour is like picture book. You know, with like little you know pastel painted fishing boats, and I mean people say, well, it's all like a, a show, and it's just they've sold out to tourism, but. We had some really nice food there, and you'll always find that, you know, like, you know, people are a bit, a bit rude about Saint-Tropez, and most of the cooking around Saint-Tropez is appalling, but there's one or two really good restaurants. Or I like going in roads to Lindos, which is very touristy, very British touristy, but there's still some good cooking there, you know? So it's sort of like hiding in plain sight sort of thing with Cassie's. Dave Gilmore lives there as well. Last question. Uh, so Evie Porter on Instagram wants to know about a Christmas pudding that's a little bit different. She says that Christmas pudding is just too old-fashioned. Well, there, I got this recipe in um, um, Alsace, and actually I was quite pleased to get the recipe because I think um, 
It's this very lovely, very um, chatty woman that makes fantastic jams called Christine Ferber. She makes this beautiful strawberry jam, which is only just set. She puts a tiny bit of vanilla in it, but her jams sell all over the world. They're not, probably not as well known in the UK, but she does very well in the States. Christine's father, called Maurice, actually has this recipe for, called Kugelhopf Glacé. Basically, it's an, an ice cream shaped like a giant savaran so it's got like a, a hole in the middle and it's actually flavoured with all the things in Christmas pudding that you love like all the currants and all the spice but it's an ice cream and um, it's just delicious and I was really lucky because um, her father's called Maurice and he he very kindly agreed to give give us the recipe and I'm going to use that next time I'm doing Christmas pudding back in, in the UK because it tastes like it, but it's just like ten times easier to eat. Well, and very Merry Christmas to you, Rick. Thank, Thank you, you very much. And that's it for the Christmas series. You can find that recipe for Rick's Kugelhof Glacé on Rick's podcast page at deliciousmagazine.co.uk slash stories slash podcasts. And I'll be back next week with a brand new series, Be a Better Cook for 2020. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 